Hello and welcome to a wonderful episode of Unqualified Analysis. We are your hosts, Zach and Caleb, and it is officially Super Bowl week. Who will win, the Horny Boys or the Rusty Tigers? Caleb, who you got? Who you got? I mean, we're we're about to find out, aren't we? All right. And uh, in addition to Super Bowl, we're going to go ahead and start our off-season coverage. So we're going to start with the coaches. We're going to start with a little bit of draft and free agency coverage. You know, maybe get in a little exciting other action. But before we start that, instead of the Pro Bowl, because let's be honest, I don't think either of us actually that the shit Pro Bowl. fucking stinks. <laughs> and like, just just to stop off real quick, if you saw any of the highlights, we made a good decision in not watching the Pro Bowl. I, I that saw shit there was a was, waste of fucking time. There was a lot of apathy also, involved. A lot of apathy. also, if you bet, first of all, if you're betting the Pro Bowl, call one eight hundred Gambler. You have you have a fucking you got a fucking problem. But if you bet the under on the Pro Bowl. Stop gambling in general. It's like no one's Bad ever going to hit an under in an all-star game. Also, setting lines for an all-star game. Wild, but uh, yeah, enough uh, enough putting it off. Let's get to this, huh? All right. Well, as some of you loyal listeners have known all season long, we had a year-long bet of quick picks of the NFL regular season. The loser of the quick picks, Caleb, unfortunately, this time around. Fortunately for me, of course. Uh, we'll have to take down a shot of some super spicy hot sauce, and then we will go right into our Super Bowl coverage right after that. Caleb, are you ready? Uh, I mean, I I guess so. This this baby right here is about to put me on my ass. Let's go. Let's go for the uh, second one, Caleb. I would just like to thank you for being a wonderful sport during this entire journey. Thank you for making some very questionable picks at times that led me over. The hump. And with that, a toast to you, buddy. Go ahead. <sighs> All right. Cheers, man. Whoo! You know, at first, it's not like the worst thing in the world. Whoo! <laughs> it comes in waves. It comes in waves. Yeah. You know? You know, it's it's not honestly as bad as I thought it was. I psych myself up a bit. It's, you know, I'm not going to throw up. I'm thinking the, the fire shits are coming, though. And a few acid reflux burps are definitely on the way here in a bit. So I apologize to all the loyal listeners out here. But all right, with that, Super Bowl preview, horny boys versus stripey boys. Who will be the superior boy at the end of the day? I think, obviously, the one thing that people are going to be watching on best on best here, Ramsey versus whoever the hell he is going to cover. Usually he has covered the second receiver all season. I'm thinking maybe he goes with Chase in this game, though. I mean, empty the clip last game of the season. You want your best on your best. What do you think here, Zach? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be so hard to cover Jamar Chase, though. We saw in the game against the Buccaneers where he pulled, uh, I think it's Darius Williams is what we decided his name was off of Mike Evans and went on to him and Mike Evans immediately burned him for a 50-yard touchdown. He had no bracket coverage there. I think they're better off putting him on T. Higgins. But honestly, it's going to be so hard to satiate that because you put a bracket coverage on Jamar Chase, you put him on T. Higgins, and then you're going to have Tyler Boyd that you're going to have to worry about as well. And that's not even to mention the fact that CJ Uzama has already said he's going to play in the Super Bowl as well. So the secondary and the linebackers of the Rams have a tough, tough task ahead of them. 
Yeah, CJ Uzama being in there is huge. I thought he, I mean, there was certainly a question when he went out. He got carted off the field initially uh, when he had that knee injury in the last game. So, I mean, it's, it's good to see him out there. I mean, you knew if there was even a sliver of a possibility that he was going to play, I mean, this is the last game of the season. He's going to play. But, yeah, going against those Rams linebackers who, I mean, the outside linebackers are fantastic names, Floyd and Miller, but the inside linebackers, I don't know a goddamn one of them. So, yeah, C.J. Uzoma in this game is going to be huge, huge guy in this one. But as far as the offenses are concerned, I think Cooper Cup and OBJ, big, big uh, duo on the other side there. I mean, I yeah. find it hard to hard to see how the Bengals slow them down without a, a key pass rush there. That's the thing, man. Uh, the Bengals and the Rams really have very similar offenses as far as the passing game is concerned. They both got three really, really good offensive weapons uh, in the receiving group. And then between Higby and Uzama, I mean, it's it's a pretty good matchup as well. But I'm looking for Jesse Bates and Eli Apple to make some plays. I know I give a lot of grief to Eli Apple. He doesn't have a whole lot of good rapport with the Saints recently. But Jesse Bates has been making plays all postseason long. And I'm hoping that he might be able to get something going against Matthew Stafford. We know Stafford hasn't been the most consistent recently. It's been a, a big question of, is he going to be early 2021 Stafford or is he going to be Lions Stafford? And really, it's going to come down to that pass rush of the Bengals for that. Yeah, and look for Hendrickson matched up against um, Whitworth on the outside or whoever they have him lined up against. Really, I mean, in spite of what the stats may tell you about the Rams, their pass protection is Shoddy at best in a lot of cases. I think McVeigh schemes around a lot of what they're what they're doing in a lot of respects, but it's going to be really key to see. I think they're probably going to end up chipping and doubling Hendrickson a lot, but how Hubbard responds to getting probably a lot of one-on-ones on the other side is going to be key as to uh, how the game turns out in the end. But I mean, yeah, if they can't get pressure on Matthew Stafford, I mean, the, the secondary is just simply not equipped to, to keep up with both OBJ and and Cup without also allowing Van Jefferson to maybe sneak in there on a, a deep shot or two. Yeah, I do think that even if you can find ways to stop Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard, you got to watch out for Von Bell. He's a pretty solid in-the-box safety. Um, he does have a solid um, passing defense, but he's known for coming off of the blitz quite often at least he was with the Saints especially so he could be a bit of a wild card that could really turn the tide in favor of the Bengals and I mean fact of the matter is no matter how many offensive weapons you have if you're not given enough time as a quarterback to make a proper decision you're gonna be forced in some errant throws and it's not like they have the running game to consistently prop that up yeah and on the other side I feel like sticking with that running game I'm gonna be interested to see how Joe Mixon does against Aaron Donald in that front four. I mean, I feel like it's going to be really hard to run on them, but if they can move the ball, I think that is their recipe for success because, I mean, we talked about it with the pass rush. The reason that the pass rush has to get there is because the secondary is a little bit thinner. We talked about, you talked about Von Bell a little bit. I think he's a great run-stopping safety. Solid pass-stopping safety, though that's not necessarily what what makes him special there. Uh, If they can keep the ball out of the Rams' hands, I think that's the best... uh, defense for uh, their offense on the other side because I mean they're they don't match up great on the defensive side I'll just say that much hey and you gotta think Von Miller he's been playing out of his mind this postseason he was a bit of an afterthought because he was a little injured when he came to the Rams and 
So they kind of put him on, I guess, like a snap count limit, and he just wasn't playing a bunch of games. But recently, he's been out of his mind. He got a couple sacks on Brady, I'm pretty sure. He was causing all sorts of fits for the 49ers. And as much as we love Aaron Donald and even Leonard Floyd, I think Von Miller is going to be the one who's going to have the big, flashy plays. He's going to be given the opportunity. Yeah, I think he might. I mean, Von Miller, I think he's been playing so well. I think he might end up getting some double teams on the outside. I mean, Aaron Donald, if you don't, if you don't like basically triple team him, you're just asking for a disaster to happen. So I feel like Leonard Floyd is that guy you're going to have to watch about. Maybe, I mean, hey, I don't know what the odds are on him getting Super Bowl MVP, but if he gets two, two and a half sacks, I mean, I could see him getting Super Bowl MVP. Maybe sprinkle $5 on that. I mean, worth it, worth a shot at the very least if you're a, if you're a gambling man at the, at the very least. I, I digress on that front, though. Uh, overall... God, I cannot wait for this game. I feel like... It's going to be a fun one. God, the Bengals have gotten so far to this point, and it it feels like their team on the whole isn't even like... Like, they're a good team, but it feels like they've punched so far above their weight class. God, just the, the vibe around this is... I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I hope it doesn't turn into a blowout either way, but I don't know. I feel like... With all the hype that the the quarterbacks are getting, though, doesn't it kind of feel like it might end up being like a low-scoring game, though, just out of the blue? Yeah, I mean, I'm worried about the offensive line for both of these teams. These are probably yeah. the two worst offensive lines that were in the playoffs, to be honest. And at some point, that's got to be a liability for you. They keep proving us wrong, but... I mean, the Bengals have been getting behind every single game pretty much that they've played in. They were down, what, 21-3 to against the Chiefs and barely came back against them in what was basically a uh, once-in-millennium type of game for them. And the Rams on the other side, they haven't really come across a whole lot of pressure against their line. It's It's been here and there, but mostly they've been able to get out quick throws to Cooper Cup. He's been able to burn his men, and their defensive line has been able to control the offensive side so that they can keep it within uh, their parameters for success. Yeah, and you look at it, the, the one time they did face an elite pass rusher last week, or I guess two weeks ago at this point, Nick Bosa, I mean, they basically didn't score more than 10 points until the yeah. fourth quarter, and they were really a, a drop Jaquaski tart interception away from maybe even losing that one. So, I mean, I, facing Trey Hendrickson, that's another elite pass rusher there. there. There's bones there to maybe make it a low-scoring game. I think that's the Bengals' best chance of winning this. Uh, at the end of the day, though... As a fan, I do kind of want to see the back and forth between Stafford and Burrow right down at the very end because, I mean, my boy, Cool Joe, mm -hmm. I, I like him over Stafford any day. Even if he is a 13-year veteran at, at this point, I like Joe Burrow so much with the confidence that he has at this point in his career. I mean, God, they just feel like a team of destiny, don't they? Yeah, I mean... You know very well what my opinions of Joe Burrow are. Yeah. I do want to say, uh, even outside of that, are these not like the two most fun quarterbacks to watch that made the playoffs duking it out against each other? I mean, we always get someone like Brady or if you got like Jimmy G where it would be kind of a lower scoring slog fest of a game. No, we've got Matt Stafford and Joe Burrow who are not afraid to throw the ball downfield. They're not afraid to make big plays. And they both are just 
complete confidence. They just are dripping with it at this point, and it's going to be so much yeah, fun to absolutely. watch. Absolutely, and I mean. We, we saw it a little bit more with Stafford, but, I mean, even with Joe Burrow being a young QB, I mean, both these guys will throw you one or two. That's the saving grace, especially for the, the Cincinnati Bengals secondary. You saw it on really two or three different times where Matt Stafford just threw one up that definitely should have been intercepted on, on multiple occasions. So they can capitalize on some of those, create some turnovers, you know, make a bit of a difference in the, the time of possession game there. I mean, I... I don't know. I feel they like beat the, the Raiders under- off of three interceptions. The Bengals that is, do have that is a true. scheme as far as uh, getting interceptions concerned. That is true. And I feel like, again, I keep bringing it back to gambling. That's just just because that's just the way my, my mind thinks nowadays. But on, the under does feel like the play here. Just the way with like, I know it's flashy seeing Joe Burrow versus Matt Stafford. But at the end of the day, most of the Bengals' games have been low scoring this postseason. They've just ended up winning them close because they've got that guy under center at, at the very clutch moments when other guys don't. And they have, you know, clutch plays on the other side as well. So I've said it probably a million times in this discussion, but I am so, so excited in this game. But with all of that said, who you got, Zach? Bengals, man. I got to go Bengals. They're <laughs> yeah. the destiny, yeah. man. They're winning yeah, who, it all. Who, who, who am I kidding? Yeah, I'm going Bengals too. I mean, this is just fucking, I picked against them so many times. I said it before, they're a team of destiny. Uh, just disregard the fact that I called the Niners a team of destiny last time around. I think this will definitely, definitely be different. I, I'm pretty sure. I think It's just a yeah. breath of fresh air, you know? Like, we've, like, I mentioned it last week where um, I think in the past 21 seasons, it's only been Brady, Manning, um, 49ers and one other parameter that I can't remember, but the or Big Ben maybe, but like the Probably. fact that none of those factors are in is just insane. Like it, it's just I, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited too. I'm I'm a little disappointed. Next time we do this challenge, um, definitely need to get a hotter hot sauce. Man. Yeah, that we we were a little conservative here, but maybe next little time. conservative. I was just I was a weak, weak little pussy bitch at the end of the day here. Also, want to mention, dude, that halftime show, man, it's gonna be spicy. It's Eminem, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar. Like those are those are my people right there. Yeah, we should have we should have put a little bit more spotlight on this because I think this is like the best lineup for a halftime show. That I mean. This is the best one I can remember in my lifetime since I've been watching Super Bowls. I'll tell you that much. I did I mean, I'm pretty... really enjoy the Chili Peppers and Bruno Mars one, but that's... Mo- was it Bruno Mars? I think it was Bruno Mars. Yeah, I think but Bruno Mars was, was in there a little bit. But that was also because um, Chili Peppers are my favorite band, so there is a yeah, bit of bias yeah. there. But I mean, the, these are also like, this is the rap scene that I grew up with and I listened to all through high school and college like I love these guys and I mean I'll, I'll steal this one from Bomani Jones but I mean G-Funk is the unifying force mm-hmm. and I mean having a G-Funk Super Bowl halftime show is just good for all parties involved this is going to be a smash hit for pretty much everyone here that's this is like the one halftime show that I might actually like sit down and like watch because I mean usually yeah. I'm not really big into these but I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch this one the uh, big news here is um, the Brian Flores class action suit. This actually came through like right after we stopped recording. So yeah. we're putting it in here. Um, first things first, I believe we're on the same page here that the Rooney rule has been kind of a sham. I mean, yeah, I <laughs> I actually started a bit of a Twitter spat uh, talking about how David Culley got fired 
when we both felt that he definitely had the Texans overperforming. They got like five wins. And meanwhile, Matt Rule fired his offensive coordinator, completely digressed afterwards, and also got five wins with the Panthers in his second season, not even his first season. And look, it's hard to ignore the fact that David Coley's black and Matt Rule's white, but that's just kind of a microcosm of the entire issue at hand here. Yeah, that's just that's just one of the things that's like, you know, more of what uh what Flores is speaking to here. I mean, the specific allegations in this in this lawsuit are pretty pretty damning if they're true. I mean, one of them I it, it was kind of like more of a circumstantial one, so I mean, take it with a grain of salt. I know the Broncos had their excuses for it. Say what you will, yeah. but Flores <laughs> said they showed up smelling like booze and disheveled. To to his uh to his head coaching. John Elway said he didn't though. He said he took yeah. it completely seriously. Yeah, I mean we all we all know John Elway's the most trustworthy person in the world. So there's that. In addition to that though, the big one that might sadly enough have like the biggest lasting effect here is the Stephen Ross allegation. He allegedly offered Flores a hundred k per loss. Yeah, which like that's if that's true, if that's found like if that evidence is corroborated. Stephen Ross has to sell his team. And that's like not a negotiable thing, especially with gambling coming into the sport and all that stuff. I mean, they will get him out so, so quick if that is true. But the real, real smoking gun of it all to where Flores might have a bit of a case here was that Bill Belichick uh, text exchange, man. I mean, yeah, if you don't know, damning. yeah, if you don't know exactly what happened here, Bill Belichick, there was this whole exchange. It was like, you know, screenshots, I guess, but it was from Flores' side. So, I mean, you know, He's putting this forth in a legal sense, so, I mean, he's not going to purge himself in this sense. So, it's probably legit here. He said, well, Bill Belichick said, congrats on getting the Giants job. This was like, you know, I don't know, just like out of the blue. Uh, Flores responds like, hey, did you hear something I, I didn't? Because this is like three days before he actually interviewed. Uh, Bill Belichick responds back, oh, yeah, my bad. Meant to, meant to text Brian Dayball instead of you. Which, by the way, keep in mind, they hadn't announced Brian Dayball's hiring either. So, like, texting texting Brian Flores that he's basically, you know, he has no chance of getting this job before he even interviewed. I mean, that's that's pretty egregious right there. I mean, I don't know if this is, like, from what I've heard, this case is pretty loose on the actual um, uh, legal allegations, I guess. Where, where it's, like, maybe not loose, but um, it's not something where... As, as awful as it seems right here, it's probably not going to hold up in court, unfortunately. But as far as the court of public opinion, with all the shit that's already come out, um, Brian Flores has already won to a, a large extent here, I would say. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing here. I know um, Marvin Lewis had a similar situation that he's spoken up about in like 2002 when the Panthers were looking for a new head coach. They reportedly had hired John Fox um, already in a very similar situation to where the Giants had hired Brian Dable and then they brought in Marvin Lewis as their token black guy to hire and honestly it's just horrible to see something like that because as we saw Marvin Lewis was a very capable coach he had the Bengals in a very solid spot um, I do want to make light did you see all the back and forth going on with Hugh Jackson in the media holy shit dude I don't know why <laughs> it's like he's just keep... addicted to the fucking hold on, hold attention on. dude I don't know why, like, 
television stations keep thinking like putting him on TV is a good idea because he lies without even trying, dude. Like stop putting him <laughs> he on TV. He doesn't even know this what is, the truth is, dude. This is why no one's hiring him anymore because he's an absolute gossip to the media and he lies constantly. I mean, he seems like a good dude, all things considered, but like, dude. He's a fucking chronic liar. Why do you keep putting him out here? Especially in this situation where it's very serious. You don't want to fucking, like, frankly, a clown like Hugh Jackson to come in and muck up the situation. I mean, that was crazy. For those who didn't watch, he was, um, so he was the architect of the, uh, 0 and 31, or I guess 1 and 31 Brown seasons. And then I think they went like 3 and 5 the next season when he was fired halfway through. But more importantly, 1 and 31, um, which led to get them getting Baker Mayfield. And he mentioned that he was getting paid by ownership to, uh, lose games. And then he immediately came out and said, no, sorry, I didn't actually get paid, but I bet <laughs> no, they would have no, paid me. Like, he said, did you like, get paid or not? <laughs> here's what happened. In classic Hugh Jackson fashion, he gave himself just enough of an out to say, oh, that's not what I was trying to say at all. I think he said something along the lines of, yeah, I think uh, Brian Flores needs to reach out to me because some similar things happened to me with the Browns which got the media's interest, obviously. Then he clarified saying, oh, no, no, that's not what I meant. They just said they didn't mention wins and losses until, like, the third year of the five-year plan, which, I mean, fair enough. I mean, you you want to think about wins and losses in the first two years if it's pretty obvious you're trying to tank at that point. But also, that's not offering you 100K per loss, bud. That's completely different, Hugh Jackson. You do not need to insert yourself into this headline. That's just, just ridiculous. I do want to point out, though, I mean, this is just not to bring like too much of a, a dark cloud onto this. I don't know who those two lawyers are. Apparently, they're pretty well respected. They represented some of the uh, the, the Weinstein victims back in the day. Um, I, I don't know. I don't trust them as far as I can take a piss, dude. I, 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 I pride myself on having a good radar for pieces of shit, and they they smelled just poopy all over them, man. I it's just something about watching the two white lawyers repeatedly cut off a black man to uh, further elaborate on the plight of the black community. That just felt fucking weird. That's just gross white savior shit, man. It happened like multiple times on like the, the CBS morning interview, on the Get Up interview. Like it was like, I understand they're well-respected and people that I respect way more on this topic than you or me have said like they're okay with, with how the lawyers handled all that stuff. But I don't know, man. It's just like, I don't, I don't trust those guys at all. I hope that it all ends up well, but yeah, it just, just feels, feels weird on that front. I will say though, already Goodell has opened up a, uh, a review on the, the hiring practices of the NFL. So, I mean, at least something is being done right now as the, uh, as a, as a cold realist though, this is a PR move. <laughs> this is not, nothing's yeah. actually going to come out of this. I bet it's just something to say they did something about it. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens, but, um. Let's talk about the fact that the Vikings were uh, very unable to read the room, though, as literally the next day. So the day after. They, God, guys. They had D'Amico Ryans in, who was a very qualified coach, and we both liked D'Amico Ryans to potentially take the job. Um, he backed out, so then they got Patrick Graham, who um, apparently is like very well-respected despite not having a great tenure with the Giants, he's still with the Giants as the DC there. But literally the day after all this comes out, there's like, all right, let's hire our white coach, Kevin O'Connell. Here we come. Um, you guys could have waited maybe a week, maybe you know, let it let it boil over just a little bit, like the Saints did. 
Yeah, like the saddest part of this is like there were basically four finalists. It was Patrick Graham, black man, Raheem Morris, black man, uh, Kevin O'Connell, white man, and then Jim fucking Harbaugh, old white man. And the two top candidates, <laughs> with all the shit that's going on, the two top candidates were Har- Harbaugh and O'Connell. Like, guys! And Jim Harbaugh, of all people, come on! Jim Harbaugh, I, I think he might have had, like, a cursory first interview, but he definitely, like, he came in, like, out of the blue in the last second, and he thought he was going to get the job. Like, they, they called him in for the interview, and in true, like, typical Jim Harbaugh fashion, has no idea how usual, like, regular social situations work, and just thought, I'm getting the Vikings job. So he said goodbye to all of his all of his staff up in Michigan and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to get this interview. Uh, that didn't exactly work out. We ended up getting Kevin O'Connell, but I just want to take a moment to focus on the optics a little bit more. Just go down, go down the list here. Two white men were the final, like big, big head coaching candidates here. The guy who got the job started coaching in 2015. The other guy hadn't coached in the NFL in eight seasons. Let me just go through the resumes of the guys that really didn't get a fair look on this. Graham, has been a, a coach in the NFL since, well, not in the NFL. He's been in the NFL since 2009. He's been coaching since 2002. One of the more well-respected names in the NFL. I mean, the the defense for the Giants is basically the only reason they were in any of the games the past couple of years. And it shows with, I mean, he's the only um, only assistant that Dayball's keeping on the staff. I think he was a great candidate. Morris, Morris was a head coach before Kevin O'Connell. Well, Kevin O'Connell was still a player. Morris was a head coach. And I mean, just to see neither of those two get a really like, like a quality chance. I mean, I'm not going to insinuate that the Vikings are uh, are racist here, but this is literally just a textbook example of exactly what Flores is speaking out against. That's not even mentioning the fact that Lovey Smith's out there, Byron Leftwich yeah. is out there, Eric Bieniemy's out there. These are all people who are definitely qualified for the job, at least. At least as qualified as Kevin O'Connell. So uh, it's bad taste. Yeah, and you think about it, Graham was brought in basically. I mean, it looked like from the outside, D'Amico Ryan's pulled out and you replaced him with Pat Graham. So it was like, okay, did you really want Pat Graham to come in? Or were you just looking for two black finalists and two white finalists? Like, I don't. It, it, it brings in a lot of questions. I, I hope it's it very all works out. It, it seems very disingenuous. Um, Hopefully the the hire works out. I'm I'm optimistic just because I'm a fan, but also like he started coaching in 2015. None of his units have been particularly lackluster. I mean, he must have been an absolute fucking dynamo in the interview room because I mean, otherwise I don't know I don't know how he got this job other than being an attractive young white guy. Let's go ahead and get into the other coaching news. A lot of this uh, came through after a lot of the backlash of the. Class action suit kind of boiled over a little bit, so there's a little bit of breathing room. Um, one of the big ones that was really surprising for me is that the Dolphins hired Mike McDaniel. This one kind of came out of nowhere, but I guess also the Dolphins were just not very uh, not very open about what they were doing. It seems like he was maybe even the only candidate at times, but I guess Ford is about to legalize weed because he's on his way, man. I guess so, man. I mean, McDaniel's name had been floated out there a couple times. Hell, I think McDaniel's was the only name that I actually heard for the Dolphins job. And I mean, I didn't feel like the Dolphins were doing a particularly diligent search there. They're kind of taking a page out of the Texans book, it felt like. But uh, I think the funniest part about this whole hiring was <laughs> the habitually woke crowd 
crying uh, racist or another white coach being hired when uh, McDaniel is in fact biracial. <laughs> just very, very light skin. Right direction. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just saying, guys. Before you make an absolute fool out of yourself, just do a little bit of research before it. It'll save you a whole lot of time and effort. But honestly, keep it coming because that's like the funniest part about the whole situation there. I hope Mike McDaniel does well. I think he's an, he's going to be an absolute character in the media. But yeah, the whole whole reaction initially is just kind of hilarious. <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch him. I will say... Um... That quote probably has a bit more of a leg to stand on with the Jaguars because they hired Doug Peterson, who you and I have been outspoken of saying, hey, he deserves another shot. But also, it seemed like the Jaguars had Byron Leftwich all knotted up, but uh, they've got the whole Trent Baalke in the room to deal with. And <laughs> literally, he's, uh, you know, chilling there. So they went with Doug Peterson instead because I guess they couldn't come to a consensus, which I mean is very fair. Um, I do like Doug Peterson. I think that he has a solid resume of building the Eagles back up to get over the hump. People sometimes forget that he's a Super Bowl winner with the Eagles, their only Super Bowl ever, by the way. Um, also, he won with a backup quarterback. And he developed Carson Wentz into a frontrunner for MVP before his injury, so maybe he can get something good going with Tua. Um, they honestly, I feel like the Dolphins are a solid team that just kind of got plagued by all the drama and the fact that maybe Brian Flores did take some money. I, I don't think he did, but uh, I don't think he did. He didn't. I mean, <clears throat> they were maybe definitely it's not as like, bad as their record yeah. set him out to be. I feel. Yeah. I think he ended up getting fired because he was winning too much. Honestly, that's, yeah. that's the big, that's the big thing for me. I mean, no one's going to ever come out and say it, but like, I don't know, man, it's a, that's a hell of a thing to uh, fire your head coach after basically improving every year except uh except one there but I, I digress on that front uh i would like to formally announce that i am all the way out on the cons as nfl owners uh in the past i've given them a little bit of slack uh they're they're new at this to a certain extent but uh the way they handled this whole hiring situation where they were reportedly having bulky sitting in the room asking candidates how do you feel about trent bulky as the general manager <laughs> like but then what they'll be able that? to know what they say to their face and it won't be behind Here's his the back. I think Byron Leftwich was the only honest one there. I think Byron Leftwich was the only one that said, yeah, I don't want that fucking scumbag around me. <laughs> the rest of them were probably like, uh, yeah, he's sitting here. So, yeah, I think he's doing a great job right now. You know, like, And, and it's like we've, just, gone, we've gone through this ad nauseum, but he was there during the Doug Marone years, which had one good season and a bunch of mediocre seasons. He was there, I think, during the Gus Bradley season or two, however long he was there. He's there during Urban Meyer. He also, keep hasn't in mind, been around success during the Urban Meyer uh, tenure. Apparently, I didn't know this either until uh, recently. I think it was on Pardon My Take did an interview with uh, one an insider who was a little bit like, well, very close to the Jags. Uh, he said that um, what, what was it? Trent Baalke made all the coaching hires on that staff, like. Which makes a lot of fucking sense because there were some head scratching type shame. of hires on that on that staff from top to bottom. I mean, you think about the original strength and conditioning coach that they hired that you know killed a kid in college once. Actually, no, that was different strength and conditioning coach. This strength and conditioning coach was just called a kid an N word. He called yeah. a kid an N word at Iowa. So you know there there's that too. I mean, different strokes for different folks, I guess there. But yeah, I mean the fact that they're sticking with Bulky through all of this. I mean, he's shown pretty much time and time again. 
he's just a Machiavellian type, do whatever it takes to keep his job, always have a fall guy. I mean, I feel bad for Doug Peterson here, but it feels like he's just the next guy in line to uh, blame when shit goes wrong, which is, you know, pretty much all Bulky's fault at this point. Hopefully for his sake, they can turn things around. They've got a lot of holes to fill. It, they do have a very young roster, so there's a chance there, but we'll see. I think they're going to be looking at they a got top DJ five pick Shark. next week at least. DJ Chark. They got Josh Allen on the other side too, which I mean, low-key, on the other side, the Jags got some solid players on defense, man. I mean, Josh Allen. has been a defense first team, to be honest. That is that is very true, especially with like Jalen Ramsey back in the day too. Paul Puzzlesny. Yeah, Paul Puzzlesny, what a fucking name. He sounds yeah, like, it's a name that when you pronounce it sounds like you're drunk and trying to say something else, but I, I, I digress. DJ Chark's a solid receiver there. I mean, they got some solid like players. That Josh Allen though, man, I don't know like, I don't know if he's going to get like a whole lot of acclaim being on the Jags, but this past year, I mean, he is really growing into his own as an NFL player. He is just fucking ungodly jacked, the fucking talent on the outside. Uh, so, I mean, hey, maybe they'll be respectable with Doug Peterson in there to have like a semblance of a respectable offense. Um, I just, I find it hard to see them ever being good with bulky in the building. I agree with that. Meanwhile, the Texans, though, they announced their head coach hiring um, mere just an hour or two before <laughs> yeah. our podcast aired. Um, we were talking, well, I was I was like wondering about this a little bit when I had heard that Lovey Smith was the defensive coordinator for the Texans. And I was thinking the entire time, where has he been? People don't remember that he went to the Super Bowl with the Bears and... I thought it was Jay Cutler. It was actually Kyle Orton who was the yeah, quarterback there. And yeah. to get that close and then to honestly be the best Bears head coach probably since before the turn of the millennium, right? Like, I, I, is there a better coach than him from 2000s on? Um, uh, yeah, certainly not Nagy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe uh, Mark Tressman? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mark Tressman was even worse than Nagy. But yeah, I mean, as a as a Vikings fan, I'm pretty much always going to respect Lovey Smith um, when he was fired, I mean, I don't, I don't really cheer for people losing their jobs, but he was basically a millionaire at that point, And I was happy that the, the bears were getting rid of him because he was usually the only reason that they ended up being good. Uh, the fact that you can bring a team to the Super Bowl with Kyle Orton, I mean, you ran into Peyton Manning at the end there. So, I mean, that kind of, that kind of sucks, but I mean, to get to the Super Bowl with Kyle Orton, hell of an accomplishment, uh, probably should have never taken that job at Illinois, uh, you know, NFL coaches and college coaches just don't cross the streams. Just, just stay on your side of the fence. Just don't go to the other side. It's probably, probably for the best there. But yeah, I just find it hilarious that the Texans went through this whole entire meandering coaching search just to hire someone that was in house and not a real candidate until after the Flores suit went public. I mean, it's just classic Texans being Texans here. Look, man, at this point though. Lovey Smith's got the full-on white beard. I hope that he keeps it as long as possible. It's going to put him into a Super Saiyan mode. Lovey Smith is going to elevate the Texans. He's going to get Deshaun Watson right. He's going to bring in some new star players. And the Texans might be at the top of the AFC South starting next year. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But, I mean, Lovey Smith is a guy that might be able to talk Deshaun Watson off the edge of uh, requesting a trade. I mean, after all, that's... That's happened. I mean, it's still weird to talk about Deshaun Watson playing in the NFL again after all of the all of the shit that's happened. That's gonna be 
That's going to be an uncomfortable subject until the end of time there, but I do want to keep it light here. Focus on that wonderful, wonderful beard for Lovey Smith. I mean, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, but when you got a beard like that, I mean, it helps the entire team. You talked about it a little bit with me at the back half of the season with Illinois when he grew that thing out. I mean, they were winning games left mm-hmm. and right. They were really rounded into form. I mean, when you got a beard like that, I mean, wisdom, it just falls off you without even trying. I mean, it just oozes down to the rest of the team, makes everyone better. So, I mean, as long as he's rocking the the wizard beard, the white beard there, only good things can happen, in my opinion, in Houston. Although, I mean, Jack Easterby is still in control there, crip walking with Jesus all the way into obscurity. So, we'll see what happens. And for our final head coaching search, the Saints, my boys, figured out who their coach will be. And from the start, I thought it would be Dennis Allen. And at the end, it was Dennis Allen. Yep. Eric Bieniemy came in uh, right at the end there. And there was a bit of hype that maybe he would be coach. But yeah, he checked the Rooney rule box. Yeah. We we did have Aaron Glenn, for what it's worth. He's black. I That's think fair. Chris, That's fair. Chris Richard's black, too, I think. Um, though he's a position coach. So I don't know if he was actually serious. But Aaron Glenn was a serious candidate. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was always going to be Dennis Allen. Especially since... Pete Carmichael actually learned um, was offered an interview and specifically said that he's good where he is. So I think Pete Carmichael just doesn't want to be a head coach, which look, respect to, you know, you do what you want to do. Being a head coach is hard and being an offensive coordinator, it's hard, but it's probably not quite as hard. Oh, I mean, if I was a fucking, if I was a head coach, I would try to like fill out my staff with only guys that don't ever want to be head coaches. Like, <laughs> well, maybe not only guys. Cause that seems like a pretty like, I mean, for better or for worse, I don't want to say lazy, but you're not going to get a whole lot of like aspirations out of that. I think you need like a good mix of those guys. It gives you but in the key, I, I see where you're going. Exactly. With this. In the key positions, though, like maybe get some young guys in like the position groups, but the key positions like offensive, defensive coordinator, like give me a guy like Wink Martindale that has zero aspirations of ever becoming a head coach. Give me a guy like Pete Carmichael, guys that you can just keep there for fucking ever that are like never going to go away. But yeah, I mean. This was always going to be Dennis Allen, I feel like. I mean, I, I jested about the, the Rooney Rule thing earlier, but I mean, this was just... With the way the Saints are constructed, they got not a whole lot of offensive weapons. They got a lot of stuff on the defensive side. If they have any hope of, like, trying to push for the playoffs, and I mean, you look at the look at the NFC South with Brady leaving, with uh, Peyton leaving town, I mean, the division can be had if you just got a, def- got a defense to win it. And I mean, I think leaning in with Allen... On that side of the ball is probably their best avenue to maybe make a run at it next year. So yeah, I like it. Yeah, I think the um, I think the Saints are probably the favorites to win the NFC South at this point. It's probably going to be honestly tied between them and the Falcons. But uh, that play that's going to be a shit show next uh, year, dude. Holy hell! It's going to be interesting because I don't think at least the top three teams are particularly bad. I think it's just there's no like star player that like puts one of them over the top to be super. Super Bowl contenders. And none of them have like a really good quarterback either. That's the main thing that I see there. And I'm like, ooh, I don't I don't know how it's all how it's all gonna turn out there. Cause I mean, for better or for worse, especially in the modern NFL, you kinda need like a guy to get anywhere nowadays. I mean, you can you can kinda like, especially with that defense that the Saints have, you can kinda like drag the offense along to a certain extent, but if you wanna get to where you want to go, I mean you saw it with Jimmy G at the end there. I mean, you need you need a guy guy. Yeah, I mean, you kind of buried the lead there, but uh, Tom Brady uh, made his retirement official. Um, yeah, but who hadn't heard about that? Prop, props to Adam Schefter <laughs> for, you know, 
kind of fucking him over a little bit by just going. Schefter's really, Schefter's really just turned heel as his career's gone on. Huh? I remember back in high school when he was like the guy that we all liked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now um, I feel like I I like Ian Rappaport a little bit more personally. Me uh, too. But yeah, I mean. This is more a point for us to be a little sentimental because um, I know you've been watching football a little longer than I have. Um, I started watching probably 2008. I think it was like the season right before the Saints won the Super Bowl. So at this point, uh, I think that was the year that Aaron Rodgers was first. Uh, I think that was his first year yeah. starting as always. But um, that's all to say that, I mean, Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan, those are like the only two quarterbacks that I don't genuinely remember being drafted. Like after that, all of these quarterbacks are younger than my football memory. Like Tom Brady was the last of the old guard. I mean, Brady, Breeze, Manning, like three goats right there. And now they're just, just gone. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't realize it until like after the Brady retirement, but like legitimately Brady and Big Ben were the last two where I can say like, oh yeah, they got drafted before I started watching football. So like, I just officially feel like my childhood is over and it's like, it's a weird feeling because I'm 25 at this point. It's just kind of like, thanks Tom Brady for extending my childhood, I guess. But like, like damn, it's, it is, it is weird to think that we're not going to see that guy play again. Cause I mean, I feel like. He loves football a lot, so I'm never going to say never on him coming back. But, man, that guy, his family has got to be worth well over a billion dollars at this I point. I mean, there Giselle is, makes more money is, than he does. So exactly. That's okay. the thing. And and Tom Brady's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So, like, he's made hundreds of millions of dollars in his career, too. So, like, yeah, yeah I, he, he's probably never coming back. End of an era, though. I mean, at the very least, though, I can start being one of those old heads that can explain to these these younger kids like you don't under you don't understand what it was like watching Peyton Manning back in the day. He wasn't able to turn his neck to save his life. <laughs> he could he could throw that shit in a pinpoint. <laughs> he couldn't turn his neck, but he still broke that fucking record, dude. Like that one, like yard. <laughs> that one substitute we had in middle school. I can't remember her name, and I wouldn't out her on a podcast on a public platform. But you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Believe it or not, I do not. But um, I, I know a couple uh, questionable. She was a she was a raging bitch. I did not like her, <laughs> but I mean, I think she had a lot to be unhappy about. So it's all good. Let's go ahead and get into some happier news. The yeah. Washington football team has finally settled on being the commies. Here we go, Caleb. Let's go, commies. Hail Let's go, to the communists for all we Hail see. to the commies. Hail to victory. Or however that, that, that chant goes that the Washington racial slurs Fuck used no. to do. <laughs> I, I'm just ready to go to Landover and get me one of those comrades, dude. Dude, this was, I don't know who thought of this, but on one, the hand, Red Wolves, man. on one hand, this was a terrible blunder. On the other hand, thank you so much. I mean, this was just like everything I could have hoped for from this, this Washington team rename. Um, just the only thing I care about here is that in the nation's capital, there's a team that plays in a shade of red. That can be referred to colloquially as the commies. <laughs> this is just red and gold. I'm Don't forget, they do so, have gold in there. <laughs> I am so so excited to for next season to make all of these just shoehorn all of these red scare communism jokes just left and right. I mean, thank you so much, Dan Snyder. I mean, you don't do a whole lot right, but you really just made a you made a young boy happy today, man. 
I would have been really excited if they just decided to like snatch one of those like Indian tribes, like uh, the Braves or the Seminoles or something, and then they just turned their logo upside down. Yeah, we are actually we're no longer the Washington Iroquois guys. We're no longer the Skins guys. We are the Arapaho. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we're an actual tribe now. It's okay, guys. Right? I mean, that's that was the problem, right? But legitimately, I mean, the only good thing about this is that they have like a fancy soccer style coat of arms. I mean, like I kind of like that. I mean, it's it's better than like the the racial caricature that it used to be. So I mean. There, there's that cool. at the end of the day, but I mean... Like, My name is also the name of an Alliance American football team, too. The What was it, the Montreal Commanders or something like that? I I have no One idea. One of those, like, side leagues that completely failed. The Commanders, though. This really should... I, I know they were trying to stay away from the... They were trying to stay away from, like, everything that had anything to do with the previous name. So, I figured it wouldn't be anything with red in it, but, like... Commanders, I mean, there are so many better names you could have gone with, right. guys. This is like, this is very on brand, though. Because you can see that Dan Snyder, though, he's not the managing partner anymore. He had his fucking fingerprints all over this one. What I, about, what if, what if instead they put a picture of George Washington, they were the Georges, the Washington Georges. <laughs> the what? Washington Georges? I actually like that. You put like a Mount Rushmore of like uh uh, presidents named George, like you got George Washington, George Harrison, uh, George H.W. Bush, George Bush. I mean, you got you got a fucking helmet right there. That's there a fucking, Georges? That's a logo right there. Honestly, I cannot believe I came up with four presidents named George off the top of my head. That is one of that is one of my crowning academic achievements right there. And I got a master's degree. I'm, I'm just going to end it on that right there. I'm just going to stop talking. Let's uh, stop talking about Georges and instead talk about Jimmy's. Then we got let's go commies. <laughs> we got Jimmy G. Um, he's you know released a statement saying thank you to 49ers Nation and about what we all expected is kind of hinted here where uh, he's probably getting traded. So at this point, Caleb, speculation: where do you think Jimmy G could go and succeed? I think there's a lot of places that would like to have him. I mean, we give him a lot of shit, but at the end of the day, he is a top half of the league quarterback, which means yep. he's an he's upgrade over he's an upgrade over a lot of different guys in a lot of different places. So, I mean, while he's not welcome in 49ers lane, he's going to fetch a pretty good price on the open market, I think, because, I mean, starting quarterbacks don't come up available just every day now. So, I think he'll probably fetch a good price. But I think as far as destinations are concerned... I'm, I'm probably going to have to go with the Broncos here. I mean, who they have in house is just like not cutting it. I love Teddy, but I think he's shown pretty much at this point that he is a high, high end backup and a not very great starter at the end of the day. So yeah, I would, I would love to see Jimmy G take over a, uh, a role with uh, someone like the Broncos, especially with the, you got Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, you got a uh, Jerry Judy out there. They got a lot of good pieces. If you just put, plug a quarterback in there. Yeah, that'd be an interesting place. I think uh, the Saints are an obvious choice for me. I mean, Jameis Winston is hitting free agency, and I don't know if we're going to have the cap to be able to get him to stay. So we're probably going to be looking at a quarterback because Taysom Hill should not be a full-time starter at quarterback. He's more of a gadget player. Um, Jimmy G, I mean, he would be a really solid transitional quarterback for us. We probably could convince him to sign a transitional type of deal while we – 
either draft quarterback in either this draft or the next draft and think about the future as we kind of load up on defense. Also a guy that loves checkdowns. So like True, just a, like at Drew. a place like the at a place like the Saints, where it's not gonna be a whole lot of offensive weapons and your best offensive weapon is the running back, also built around the defense, having a guy like Jimmy G who's gonna check it down a lot, probably one of the best things he can have. So I like that fit with the Saints as well. Well, then let's go ahead and get into the final segment, Caleb. Would you like to lead us off? Yeah, this was kind of a, a bit of my brainchild to a certain extent, so I will I will lay out the the groundwork here. Uh, moving into the the off season, we're gonna do a little bit of a uh, I guess we're you know fishing for content for lack of a better term. I mean it's it's more of just like you know finding stuff to talk about at the end of the day. But one of the topics that I thought we would be uh, really suited to talk about here was a uh, team wish list for the upcoming season. And let me just go into a little bit of what that is. So. Uh, yeah, uh, as far as what the wish list entails, for each team we cover, uh, each of us will choose something for them to focus on, either dra- the draft or free agency to add to the wish list. Um, for sake of convenience, we'll just split it up into two conferences, NFC today, I think anyways, yeah, it's NFC today, and then uh, AFC next time around. But uh, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty simple, pretty straightforward, just going down the list of, I think we're doing... Um, 10 teams today and then just kind of like yeah adding something to the wish list it was kind of you know originally I had this idea around uh New Year's Eve and it was going to be uh New Year's resolutions for teams but eh wish list we're just getting it in early for next holiday season around here so yeah a uh, little little note though uh there were a few teams that there's just there's too much shit to list so we uh we decided to keep them out for the sake of brevity because we are like I don't know probably about an hour or so into recording at this point, and we're just now getting to this. So, yeah, we left out the Panthers, Lions, Giants, Commies, Bears, and Seahawks. So, congrats. Your guys' situations are so fucked, we just don't even know where to fucking start, so we're setting you guys aside. So, all right. Anyways, with that said, starting at the top of the list, uh, pretty much everyone's media darling because they get so much awesome, sweet, sweet, yummy ratings the Dallas Cowboys, and starting off, I'm adding to the wish list for the Dallas Cowboys an offensive line here. I mean, God, I mean, it's been the strength for so long, but right now, I mean, think about it. Tyron Smith's getting older. Travis Frederick is retired. I mean, the guy they have in there right now, I think he's a mid-round draft pick. Uh, Zach Martin's a get, getting a little bit older. He's on a massive contract, and he's 31. So, I mean, you, you address that in the draft. Uh, maybe in free agency, you never know with the, uh, the the Dallas Cowboys, but that's my big area of need that I see. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that offensive line is generally a pretty foolproof way of improving your team. I know the Saints are pretty notorious for doing that, of just constantly drafting first-round linemen, and then all of a sudden the Saints had the best offensive line, and with that, the best just general offensive team. Um, So I feel like that's definitely a good way to go. Uh, It's a real shame. I forgot about Travis Frederick, but uh, yeah, he ended up leaving pretty early because of the, um, yeah, Guillain-Barr syndrome, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, Guillain-Barr syndrome. I don't know exactly what that is, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely career ending. Actually, he's a cousin of someone we knew back in high school. Mm -hmm. Fun fact. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, Yeah, Talk about players that I actually remember when they were first drafted. Tyron Smith, he was in one of the first drafts God, that I remember. He's, and uh, he's been around forever at this point. But, talk about a mound of solid muscle, that yeah. guy. He has to have like fucking 10% body fat at 300 pounds. That's just a fucking all-time 
giant dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as what I think could improve the team outside of offensive line, it's a little more abstract, but they need to get better leadership. They need to do better at performing the clutch. I mean, it's just, we all remember it, right? The 14-second quarterback draw. A lot of it is look at your coaching staff, see what kinds of changes need to be made to your processes, maybe bring in some players who might be a little bit older but can prove to be leader types like Eric Weddle, for example, for the Rams, and just give them a semblance of how to play in uh, game time decisions so that they're not completely confused when something's happening. Because the Cowboys realistically have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL, so they really only need a couple more tweaks to really get there, I think. Yeah, and... Here's the realistic thing, though. You and I both know what's going to end up fixing the the decision-making in the clutch situations, and it's not coming this season. It's coming the next season with a fucking man named Sean Payton. Probably say it a million fucking times before it actually happens. Don't don't will this into existence for me. I've been fighting this all for 10 years, damn it. Don't will it into existence. Buddy, you gotta let him go. He's not coming back. (laughs) He's not coming back to the... He's not coming back to the Saints... And you know what? Dak needs a real offensive mind. All right, we both have our selfish reasons. Just for bring Dak to the Saints, okay? Then everyone's happy. Honestly, I'd be okay with that because I mean, it's painful to cheer for him when he's on the Cowboys. I fucking really, from the time I was a kid, I fucking loathed the Cowboys <laughs> for no particular reason. But I mean, if he's gonna be on the Cowboys, he should have an actual offensive mind at his disposable, not fucking watermelon smashing McCarthy, which I mean, <laughs> great morale guy, but as far as an X's and O's, I mean, leaves a lot to be desired. Well, let's go ahead and get into their brother in the NFC East in the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, this one is a little more obtuse just because the way that they play is kind of weird. I mean, they led the league in rushing. They've got Jalen Hurts, who's not your prototypical quarterback. And also, they've already declared that he's going to be the starter. So, you know, obviously, you got to stay away from saying, let's go get a franchise quarterback because he did make the playoffs for what it's worth. And, um, yeah, if they didn't play the Bucks, they might have had a chance at winning. I'm going with the defensive line um, in a similar stroke to the offensive line. Look, man, it's simple. If you get home to the quarterback, force him to make bad decisions like the Bengals are going to do this Sunday, then you can win games. And they just signed up Josh Sweat. Um, your boy Fletcher Cox is a force in the middle who probably is going to retire an Eagle. But you can never have too many weapons on a defensive line. Just keep loading up on it. It's can't miss. Fletcher Cox. Talk about a guy that, I mean, I that is one of the first guys that I remember being drafted. And that was before I was even a Mississippi State fan. So, I mean, yeah, I, I fucking love that guy. Even if he, he hates the, I don't know if he necessarily hates the university, but he's got a bit of a... He's got a bit of a long-standing issue. If you, if you know anything about a little bit like pulling back the curtain, a little bit of inside baseball here, he's got a little bit of uh, spat with the university because of how they, they treated Sylvester Kroom on the way out the door. But, I mean, I fucking – I love Fletcher Cox. He's a big old strong man in the middle, just a type of type of like traditional nose tackle where he's just, just big and stout, won't do a whole lot on the stat sheet, but he will absolutely – wreck a game for you and if you're drafting a QB this year I feel like you're really just taking a piss on the advantage that you have with having Jalen Hurts in the building because when you have a guy like that already in place I mean talk about having a really solid starter already I mean there's no need to reach for a QB in a class that we've already talked about ad nauseum is a pretty 
pretty weak class on the whole. So yeah, I mean, I say you go with wide receivers to put around him because right now it's Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, and a bunch of guys that look like Devontae Smith that don't actually get open. So like, I mean, they need to get someone in there because, I mean, Jalen Hurts, he's not a guy that's going to throw a whole lot of guys open. That's why you saw him throwing a lot to Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith last year. So get another playmaker in there for uh, uh, just bolster the receiving core because, I mean, they need it anyways. And to be realistic, it, it makes the offense better for whatever QB you eventually end up drafting. So, I mean... You can only end up doing good here by drafting a receiver, in my opinion. Yeah, the Eagles just really haven't had a whole lot of success drafting receivers. Like, outside of Deshaun Watson, Devontae Smith, it's been pretty They drafted reasonable. Jalen Rager. They got Jalen Rager a pick before Justin Jefferson. <laughs> I mean, Justin Jefferson just went to his second Pro Bowl, and he broke a rookie receiving record that was later broken by his LSU teammate. But still... I mean, the fact that you missed so badly and Jalen Raker had, I think, two muffed punts against the Buccaneers, which are very substantial plays. I mean, you've really got to get something right here. I mean, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, there's plenty of options. Yep, never forget Zimmer and Spielman laughed in the face of the Eagles when they right. picked Jalen Rager <laughs> and immediately took Justin Jefferson after they were talking about picking someone completely different because they assumed Justin Jefferson was going to be off the board after that pick. I don't think and, anyone uh, actually thought he was a first-round pick. And then the Eagles were just no. like, eh, let's go ahead and take him, what, 14, they did the 15? Old, yeah, Je- Jeffrey Lurie just did the old uh, Al Davis method where – no, Howie Roseman, that's the GM. I get those two mixed up all the time. Jeffrey Lurie is the actual owner. But uh, Howie Roseman just did the old Al Davis thing where he's like, yeah, he's fast because I think – I think Rager ran like the fastest 40 time at the combine or some shit like that. So it's like, yeah, yeah, he's fast. Just draft him in the first round. That's worked out well for basically everyone. Can he in the catch past. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's always it's always worked out in the past. I mean, John Ross has been an absolute burner. And I mean, he was he worked out great as a first round pick, right? I mean, it was Darius Hayward Bay. He turned out to be a star. <laughs> Nelson Aguilar is still trying to piece his career back together. Nelson, that's a guy that I actually thought would be good at. USC, people forget Nelson Aguilar was better than Marquise Lee, and Marquise Lee oh, was yeah. a fucking monster. Nelson Aguilar was a stud in college. Like, I thought... Well, I don't think I actually, Marquise Lee panned out either. I don't remember. He didn't, no. Yeah. But Marquise Lee was more like, he had hamstring issues, which, like, if you watched him in college, like, those hamstrings were like, he was such an explosive player. When he lost the hamstrings, it was pretty much pretty much over for him at the end of the day. So, I mean, that wasn't all his fault. But, yeah, Nelson Aguilar is one that I thought he would end up panning out. That I'm, I, I, that's, the, that's the whole thing with the draft. The guys that you're the most sure about can end up turning out to totally bust. And the guys that you thought, like, oh, they're not going to do anything. Like Tom Brady being the, the flabby Michigan QB playing for 22 years. I mean, it's all, it's all a crapshoot at the end of the day. It's why we come back and love it. Let's go ahead and get into your NFC North rival in the Green Bay Packers, the Cheeseheads. Yes. I'm, I'm going offensive line. I mean, I'm going to stay away from the obvious one for now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Bakhtiari is on the wrong side of 30 at this point, And they got two young guys in Josh Myers and Elkton Jenkins. But outside of that, I mean, there's not a whole lot to really like for the Packers. They need to build a little bit more youth and get some consistency on that line. Yep. Another Mississippi State guy. Another Mississippi State guy, so I'll let you peak game here. The G is silent, so it's just regular old Elton. Um, but I think I've I think I've pronounced it wrong in the past before. But yeah, it's just regular old Elton. 
good old good old Elton Jenkins. He's a very very good player. I think if he comes back and can stay healthy, that's a guy that can really solidify that offensive line. But I do agree yeah. they should probably either draft someone or bring someone in in free agency in all likelihood. I'm I'm going to focus on the special teams because they basically lost the Packers this season last year. Um, a blocked a blocked field goal for a touchdown was the only score. The only touchdown that the 49ers had in the game that they won against them in Lambeau. So, uh, yeah, if they don't block that kick, uh, the Packers are in the NFC Championship, then who knows from there. I think they have the best roster by far on that side of the bracket. So, they blocked uh, the punt special, too. Yeah, blocked the punt as well. Uh, so, yeah, special teams is a big area of need. I will say they did already address the uh, coordinator issue. They fired the guy they had in there and hired uh, podcast favorite Rich Bisaccia. Probably the best free agent special teams coordinator out there. I wanted him for the Vikings selfishly, but I mean, we didn't have a head coach in place, so that kind of put us at a disadvantage there to hire him. But uh, yeah, th- that basically hiring Rich Bisaccia makes them better on at least the coverage aspects of their uh, deficiencies overnight, because that will not happen with Bisaccia as the coach. One of the best special teams coordinators uh, that there is in the game right now. Uh, as far as like personnel decisions, though, they need a new long snapper. And I mean... I'm not going to profess to say that I'm an expert on long snapping, but I know the job of a long snapper is to deliver the exact same ball every single time without variation. Whether that's fair or not, that is what the long snappers that stick around for a while, like the last guy they had in there for like 15 years, do. They deliver the exact same ball every time. The guy they got in there now, I saw routinely. I mean, Bajorquez had to do a whole lot of work before that shit was kicked a lot of times. I mean, spinning it around. I mean, sometimes the ball was mid-spin when it was kicked by Crosby, so the ball went haywire. Sometimes the laces were all the way back, which when the laces are all the way back like that, it's not on It's not on the holder as some people like to think. It's on the snapper. It's who delivers the ball at the end of the day. So, I mean, you tried him. He was a rookie last year. Maybe try him out in, uh, in training camp, see if he's got a little bit better in the offseason, but definitely bring in competition for that guy in training camp if nothing else yeah that's a that's a role i would not like is being a long snapper it's just such a specialized role and if you don't and do you know how perfectly every single time then you're just screwed and the thing is you got it until you just don't have it anymore there are players who can go eight nine ten winning seasons just perfectly snapping the ball and then you just have one bad season. You're just out of the league at that point because you just lost it at that point. It's so mechanical that it's so hard to get back once you've lost it and to get it if you never had it in the first place. Yeah, I think technically, like, I think as far as athletes go, I think we can pretty much agree that uh, long snappers are pretty much bottom of the totem totem pole, per, even below kickers, I would say. There are some pretty unathletic long snappers out there, but, like, I mean, as far as technical difficulty, they might have the most difficult job in football because, like, they legitimately, like, have to do the exact same thing every single time. And if they vary even, like, once every hundred times, like, that's probably, that's probably about the rate at, at, at which the, um, the snapper for, for Green Bay was going. Like, maybe, maybe less than a hundred, maybe maybe once every like 50 times or so he would have a bad snap. And that's basically all the difference is like the margin of error there is just so slim. I don't envy anyone who takes that position. And in addition to that, that's why they stick around teams for so long. Cause I mean, it's hard to find a good one. No one knows what they're evaluating. No one knows what makes a long snapper good in the first place. So like, yeah, I mean, 
Hard hard situation for the Packers to be in, especially with an aging kicker, but that's something you got to at least try to address in the offseason here, I think. But uh, moving on to my boys here, I'll take it right from the top. We got the Minnesota Vikings uh, coming off a season in which we went 8-9, and nine, the most predictable uh, outcome of all time. I think I predicted it before the season, but I digress. Uh, I'm looking for pass rushers here because by the end of the year, our top pass rusher was DJ Wanham. Have you heard of DJ Wanham? DJ Wanham. But uh, that's the exact point. Uh, we don't have any depth on that line. Daniil Hunter for the second straight year. I think it. I don't know if it was a pack two years in a row, but I know for two straight years he's had major injuries to uh, end his season very early. So I mean, and he's one of those like athletes where I mean he's a very impressive guy to look at. But a lot of times where you got those fucking Ferraris, they got a lot of injury issues. Like look at Brian Arakpo towards the end of his career where he could not stay on the field. Daniel Hunter's a lot in that same mold. He's an absolute specimen. Great when he great when he's on the field. Go Tigers. Thank you so much, Louisiana, for gifting us with that athlete while we had him. But uh, yeah, it's, it's probably about time to phase him out slowly, draft a guy. I mean, for Christ's sake, we had Everson Griffin in there in the year 2021 playing meaningful pass rush snaps. And I mean, that's not that. I mean, in 2017, that's one thing. He was an absolute stud back then in 2021. He shouldn't even be a starting defensive end. He should be rotational at best. So like, yeah, get more pass rushes in there. Luckily this year, all the positions are rich with talent. So we got a lot to choose from. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty much a can't miss option for you. Um, you guys definitely need to get a little bit of defensive uh, depth there. Um, I mean, Daniel Hunter, we all kind of knew what we were getting into. He's an athletic freak, but uh, I mean, he's probably in like his seventh or eighth one of the year most, at this point. One of the most so, jacked people I've seen in my entire life. Yeah. I, um, I went a little abstract again just because, I mean, I saw what I saw out of Kirk Cousins, and I don't like any of it. You guys have Preach. a new coach coming in, so... You guys need to work on that passing game plan. You've got two wide receiver ones on that roster. Say, and you honey. have a tough flight running back. So, uh, yeah, I mean, luckily you got Kevin O'Connell, who is a brainchild of Sean McVay coming in. But uh, Kirk Cousins needs to put up or shut up and get the fuck out of town. Uh, I could not agree more with what you just said there. Uh, yeah, Kirk Cousins, if I had it my way, he would be out of town like, tomorrow cap hit be damned i want that dude fucking off the roster but that's also just being a little bit biased i think like man if we can get a better option in there for sure go for it but like i do have to be realistic here and say there are worse options than Kirk cousins out here hopefully kevin o'connell can bring a little bit more of a dynamic aspect to the game plan as far as like passing concepts i mean clint kubiak that guy Product of nepotism through and through. I mean, come at me if you want to. Fucking, that's basically all of what Zimmer's hires were. That's one of the reasons why I really didn't didn't like him very much on on that front. So yeah, a little bit more creativity, hopefully with Kevin O'Connell. I mean, talked about it before. He's not really been super proven as an offensive coordinator. I don't think he's ever actually. I, he might have called plays with the uh, with the football team back in the day, back when they were still the racial slurs. But I think that year they were thirty second. And then 21st, and then this past season was the, the only year as a coordinator where uh, he finished in the top half of the league and he was top 10. So, I mean, who even knows? 
I think um, as much respect as you give to KJ Osborne, it probably would help to bring in like a veteran wide receiver who can take some of that intermediate slot routes so that Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson can continue to dice. I mean, I, I know you're grimacing like that, but think of what OBJ just did, man. KJ Osborne doesn't have that kind of production. No, he doesn't, but I think that's also a product of who the QB is. I mean, I I might I'm it might I might be looking through the rose colored glasses, I understand, but I don't know, man. I like I really like KJ Osborne. I don't know exactly how good he's going to be, but as far as like a third receiver, I don't know how he can do a whole lot better than that. I mean, if we can get if we can get a better option than him, I mean I'm not gonna say no. I'm a pragmatist at the end of the day. I'm here to here to win football games, but it's I'm okay with seeing another year KJ Osborne. I think next year is going to be like a real. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. I mean, Mister Big Chest getting getting a whole lot of money from uh, the Bucks apparently. Think about it. He can get a pretty badass helmet that's got horns on the side of it, dude. Yeah, what more could you like? Talked about. We talked about like uh, resetting the culture. I know the the Wolves were talking about really trying to get a new culture in there. I mean, yeah, that would certainly be the case if you brought Antonio point. Brown into the locker room. That would certainly be a real jolt to the culture right there. Let's go ahead and get into my division. Um, we're going to start with the Buccaneers first. We agreed to stay away from the quarterback because, well, come on. Pretty obvious. That's, that's yeah. an obvious one. Low-hanging fruit. I think yeah. Blaine Gabbert. Is the starter? It's either Blaine Gabbert or uh, who is that? That Florida starter? Um, oh, um, Kyle Trask. Um, yeah, Kyle Trask. That's the one. So I'm going with what I think is the most obvious here in the offensive line depth. Um, the game that they played when Tristan Wirfs was out, it looks like their entire team imploded. Tristan Wirfs was out, or I think he was technically in, but he was definitely injured. Ryan Jensen, their center, was injured, and it did not look good at all. It was against the Rams. Um, They had to make a 25-point comeback and ultimately couldn't. If they want to set their next quarterback up for success, they need to get some more depth there. They need to have a contingency plan for when their only two good uh, linemen end up going down for extended periods of time. Yeah, and I think specifically... uh... Given that at the end of the day, if you're still thinking Super Bowl, which I mean, pretty much every team has to when at, at some point. I mean, if you're thinking long term, you're always thinking Super Bowl. And at the end of the day, you're probably going to see the Rams there and you're going to see that motherfucker Aaron Donald up the middle. So I like him going for a guard here, someone in the interior just to kind of yeah. bolster, try and get a stud in there to, to kind of counteract that when it comes, push comes to shove in the push. Yeah. Let me start that over. When push comes to shove at the uh, the most pivotal times of the uh, the season, um, I was going a bit more towards the uh, the cornerbacks. Um, we saw it. I mean, they had a lot of injuries throughout the season, so you cut them a little bit of slack there. But even when, when uh, players came back from injury, uh, their best corner was Sean Murphy bunting. And I mean, very good corner. I mean, probably you, you'd like him on any team. I'd like him on the Vikings for sure, but... Not necessarily someone that can carry a team. He's not the lockdown type of guy that's going to completely change a defense. And I mean, Winfield is an absolute monster in what he does, but he's kind of a nickel safety hybrid. He'll hit the shit out of you, create turnovers, fly around, play like a pseudo Palomalu type of role. Maybe not, maybe not quite like Palomalu, but that sort of that that sort of mold. So getting kind of a uh, an outside guy opposite of him kind of it helps Winfield do more of what he does best. 
Helps Sean Murphy bunting from not getting torched sometimes. I mean, not being the only one in the secondary. So, yeah, I, I would like him to, to do that maybe. Uh, yeah, do that in the draft probably because they don't have a whole lot of room, I don't think. They're in a, a special kind of cap hell, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, at one point they were down, I think, two quarterbacks and they brought in Richard Sherman. And Richard Sherman came in and immediately showed everyone why Just he retire, Richard. didn't have a job. <laughs> and then he got injured. So the quarterback position was quite dire for them. That was another very clear point of strife for the Buccaneers. And that's definitely something that's going to need to be revamped if they want to give some help to Vita Vea and the rest of that line. Yeah, absolutely. But moving on to your boys, the New Orleans Saints down in the bayou. They just lost their head coach. Just got a new head coach in there, Dennis Allen, which is about the uh, polar opposite in style. A lot of stuff to work on. Not not quite dead yet. I think they got a good enough defense to kind of tread water. But the need I'm focusing on to throw on the wish list here is wide receivers Probably the most glaring need, in my opinion, on the whole team. I mean, Deontay Harris and Marquez Callaway were your top two receivers, and uh, I don't really know who you'd put one or two in there. I mean, I'm not sure it necessarily matters. The point is, in a in a draft like this, with like tons and tons of receivers being in the cap hell that you're you know perpetually in year after year for the Saints. Uh, yeah, I definitely see them taking multiple wide receivers in this draft not just like one or two probably like three maybe even more because they are bereft of talent on that side there are reports that michael thomas should be coming back um it seems like the rift has been uh fixed at this point so ideally he'll end up being the number one so we don't have to worry about which one of those two is going to be number one and number two we can uh you know go ahead with that but yeah i mean either either way though i don't like well, them to be threes as well, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not That's not very... That's the thing, is the Saints, um, outside of Michael Thomas, really haven't hit on wide receiver recently. They had Brandon Cooks for a spell, but he was a locker room issue for them. They had um, Kenny Stills and Willie Sneed, who are good but not great. And then, I mean, Traquan Smith, he was the top wide receiver for UCF when they were uh, having undefeated seasons with Mackenzie Milton. Uh, and he really hasn't quite gotten into the form that uh, we were hoping he'd get into. So, I mean, outside of uh, Can't Guard Mike, it's a kind of a bunch of dudes, to be honest. A bunch of dudes we like, but definitely a bunch of dudes. Yeah, and I feel like the Saints are one of the only teams that might actually be forced into drafting a QB this year if they don't end up picking up Jimmy G, which I think, you know, that's something you really got to look at if you're the Saints. I feel like Loomis is probably going to be hitting that hard when when the new league year starts up i think that's when you can actually do uh trades and stuff like that yeah well that i mean that leads into my wish list where uh, i think that we need to go quarterback um whether we pick up uh jimmy g um if kenny pickett drops to us i definitely would really like to see that i'm a bit of a fanboy for his body of work i think that he'd be really fun um pete carmichael's still there so we still have remnants of sean payton there and honestly a lot of the issues we had with that passing game is just the fact that we started four different quarterbacks. Jameis Winston was starting to get into a groove, and right as that happened, he went down for the season. So when you have a bevy of uh, quarterbacks known as Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, and Ian Book starting, uh, you can tend to expect that your passing game's not going to work as well as you'd like. 
Yeah, and I mean, they could try and run it back with Jameis if they really wanted to next year. I They're mean, not going to have the cap, though, I, don't, I think is the issue. We're like 50 or 60 over the cap at this point. Yeah, yeah, and Loomis is a wizard, but I don't think... Jameis played well enough last year to command much yeah. more than what they paid him last last time around. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to end up getting him. I mean, it, it feels like it, it's either G- Jimmy G or, man... Take a take a swing in the draft, but even even then they're gonna be like I miss Drew Brees, man. <laughs> I mean, That's Kenny Pickett. About that. Kenny Pickett is like the only one in this draft that I would say like has the real star potential. And man, I mean, he there's there's a chance he might drop to the Saints, but man, that's sad. A lot of stuff has to happen. A lot a lot of stuff has to happen for that. But uh, moving on to another team within that same division. Fuck the Atlanta the Falcons. Falcons. They are, you know, they, they are the Falcons at the end of the day. I mean, they, they had a team last year that won more games than they had any right to. And really looking at their point differential, I think they were like, they were like minus like 90 or some shit like that. Like it was astounding how like, how many points they were, they ended up being down by with only having like a seven and 10 record, really being in like playoff position for a lot of the season. But uh, for this team on this wish list, I would put wide receivers because I mean you probably got Calvin Ridley coming back but even then Kyle Pitts is great he's an absolute monster gonna be a freak on on your team hopefully for the next I mean maybe decade or so but outside of Calvin Ridley you got maybe Russell Gage is a solid wide receiver but I mean you don't have like a true like number two on the outside to really like dice up a defense out there give Kyle Pitts a little bit more space so I mean Probably go to the draft for that one. I mean, again, it's a, it's a deep sort of class, so hopefully get a, a number two out of that, kind of open up the middle of the field, make Kyle Pitts even more of a monster than he was this year. Yeah, I mean, they've got Russell Gage as their number two, and he's good, but he's not great. Um, he's definitely not that wide receiver two potential. He's more of like a, a third wide receiver, I would say, just kind of picking up the catches that great the defense guy. leads behind. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you really can't go wrong getting a few more weapons. I do think that in order to help with that, they need to address their quarterback of the future. They've got Matt Ryan for now, and he is a veteran quarterback who has been to the Super Bowl. He, uh, he's, I think he's got a few passing titles under his belt. He's a solid quarterback, but he is reaching the end of his career at this point. And so they got to think about the future. And that future currently includes Josh Rosen, A.J. McCarron, Matt Barkley, and Felipe Franks. Take your pick, but I'd personally take none of those quarterbacks. So I think that they should go into the draft and get somebody other than Kenny Pickett. This is a bet they made for themselves, though, man. I mean, we've known Matt Ryan's arm was cooked for a couple years now, and they could have drafted a QB on several different occasions. Now they're at the point where Matt Ryan is like, done, done. They basically need to draft a, Q- a QB, but they're in a year where there's not really a whole lot of talent at the position. So, like, I don't. I feel like they're just stuck with Matt Ryan this year. I feel like he's going to have a pretty similar year to what Big Ben had the past two years. I think it's not going to be pretty next year, but kind of they're kind of stuck with him with that contract as well as everything else in there. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see what happens there, but. That, that's the main reason, like, there's not a single QB in this division. I would say, like, Matt Ryan might be 
the best starting QB in the NFC South, and that is saying a whole lot right now. I think I'd take Taysom Hill over Matt Ryan for sure. Me um, too, dude. <laughs> I yeah, I mean a lot of it really depends on what the Bucks and the Saints do because I think the Panthers are mostly gonna have to run it back with what they've got. But yeah, the Saints and Bucks at least have a little bit of a question there. Let's go ahead and go to the NFC West though, which was one of the more competitive divisions for the Super Bowl. They had two teams in the conference championship. And uh, let's go ahead and start with the current Super Bowl contenders in the Los Angeles Rams. I think that the biggest question is how they keep that core together. Von Miller is going to be a free agent. Uh, Matt Stafford is going to be a free agent. And the cap might keep rising, but all those star players, Floyd, Donald, uh, Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey, and more are commanding at least $20 million in cap hit. So they are going to run out of space, and they do have other issues that they have to resolve. And I mean, OBJ's out the door as far as I'm concerned. There's no way they can fit him into their future. Yeah, if there is one GM that could keep this team together, though, I mean, it's probably Les Snead. That guy's a fucking madman. When it comes to signing contracts, wheeling and dealing on trades, I mean, I'll tell you what. That dude does not give half a fuck about draft <laughs> picks. Draft picks are, they are basically as good as cash in your wallet as far as he's concerned. They are something, <laughs> something to pay for established players with as far as he's concerned. So this is, this is how he builds his team, signing guys to big contracts and free agency. So, I mean, maybe he'll pull off a miracle and re-sign OBJ in free agency. I would be shocked personally, but, uh, my area of uh, interest here, the one I'm adding to the wish list, is going to be uh, linebackers, it, specifically inside linebackers, because, I mean, the outside names, I mean, flashy as hell. You talk about Floyd and Miller, just dynamic pass rushers, but I do not know who the inside linebackers for the Rams are. Like, I couldn't name a single name. Like, I don't know what they look like. I don't know what their numbers are. Like, that's, that's insane. And they traded... Kenny Young earlier in the season, who was apparently a starting linebacker for like a seventh round pick, and he got traded, and I was like, wait, shit, he starts? God damn. <laughs> so like, even right now, <laughs> they have a bit of a, a need at linebacker. This is one, though, I'm not sure how they're going to fix, because like I said, I mean, Les Snead doesn't give a fuck about draft picks. I think he traded away like, I want to say they don't have a pick until like the third round this year or something like that. So I mean... Might have to be a mid-round guy. And they also have all these things to worry about in free agency. So, I mean, they got to the Super Bowl with basically no inside linebackers and no safeties in the first place. So, maybe they can run it back and do it again. Who knows? I'm thinking maybe they can convince Luke Keekley to come out of retirement to play for him. Say, hey, fuck up your head one last time. Yeah. Run it back with us. Let's get the Super Bowl. How would you like ALS? because <laughs> that's what you're getting if you come back come on buddy i think i think he had a concussion at least every year and probably multiple times per year he's his head cannot be in the right place here's the thing the mendoza line for concussions for like cte risk is like three i believe and i think he had like he's got more than that for sure in the nfl alone that's not even talking about like like little league high school college like yeah fucking yeah it, it's best just to not think about that because it gets a little bit dark when you think about the quality of life of especially like 
some of the linemen and linebackers, like tight ends, the guys like going over the middle. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's crazy, man. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get to the Arizona Cardinals with our favorite head coach in the NFL, Caleb. I think that if I were an Arizona Cardinal, I would get some secondary help. You've got Buda Baker, you've got Byron Murphy, but that secondary has not been the same since Patrick Peterson left. So they need to get some help for those two. I mean, these days everyone's running some variation of a 4-2-5 anyway, so the more secondary you can get for that team, the better. It always seems like whenever... Uh, teams were able to figure out that defensive line, which also needs a little bit of help, um, all things considered. Um, whenever teams could figure out that defensive line, they always got into some form of a shootout. And realistically, like it's always better if you can just control the entire game and not have to worry about whether Kyler Murray is going to, you know, be great or be Carson Wentz. Yeah, exactly, right? And <laughs> I mean... Uh, there's really not a whole lot of holes on this roster. The secondary was the one area where I would say, like, yeah, they definitely need to, like, draft a cornerback or something like that, bring in, bring in some, some players in free agency to bolster it. Because, I mean, outside of that, top to bottom, they got one of the best rosters, really, in the entire NFL. There's absolutely no reason they should have lost in the first round this year. Which brings me to my uh, add to the wish list, a new fucking head coach. Because uh, Cliff Kingsbury... He's a sexy motherfucker, but that uh that decision making at the end of the season down the stretch was frankly inadequate, uh, embarrassing sometimes. I mean, losing to the Lions by 18 points when, like I just said, you got one of the best rosters in the NFL, and the Lions are last I checked in the number two overall pick could have been number one if not for not for the Jags being so bad as well. But uh, the fact that they got completely waxed by a team that they swept in the regular season. I mean, it pretty much shows me all I need to know about Cliff. If they want to get to the next level as a team, they got to bring in a bona fide offensive line, like maybe Sean Payton or someone like that. Which, by the way, this shit into existence, dude, get used to it because literally anytime like a, a good QB has like a head coaching position open, his name's going to come up every single time. You know that, right? He's like, still on a contract with the Saints, you know. Think of Gruden. It happened with Gruden for a whole fucking decade when he was in the booth. Anytime a job came open, they're like, is Gruden coming back? Is Gruden coming back? I, I would just Get like people to wait one. like a year, you know? Give him his year and then you They probably will wait a year. They probably will wait a year. But I'm talking like, I'm factoring in after this year because I think he is going to take a year off to just kind of do his own thing. He is coming back at some point, though. There's there's no way. He didn't say he's even retiring. He didn't even make any bones about it that he was just going to ride off in the sunset and never come back. Like, he just he just taking a break. So, yeah, I mean, that would be... I mean, if would you rather him go to the Cards or the Cowboys at the end of the day? I'd rather him come back to the Saints. <laughs> That's not... Not not a, not an option, buddy. I don't not care. I'm making my own options here. I don't want either of those to happen. Well... He's who, mine. Who, no who, one else can have him, damn it. <laughs> Well, all right, moving on from the the denial phase here, uh, we got the San Francisco motherfucking 49ers who just lost their offensive coordinator, but we all know, I mean, it's you got Kyle Shanahan in there. Who the fuck cares who the OC is? But, uh, I mean, got all the way to the NFC Championship on the strength of the defense, basically, when you got Kyle Shanahan there. They've been looking for a, a QB forever. I don't think either of us, you know, really went into that too much because they got Trey Lance in there. But my addition to the wish list for the San Francisco 49ers is cornerbacks because they were essentially 
corner a cornerback away from going to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's a little bit of an extrapolation, but I mean, Jaquaski Tart dropped an absolute gift for Matt Stafford at the end there to put them in field goal position. And I mean, I think we talked about it right after the game. Robbie Gold has never missed in the postseason. So, I mean, that's about as automatic as automatic can get right there. They were probably going to end up winning that one. If you got, I mean, it might, it might just be because of a little bit mix of the uh, West Coast bias and some unheralded young guys. But, I mean, I don't know any of the corners on this team. Jaquaski Tart is actually a safety. So, like, I don't know any of the starting corners. Maybe they're solid young guys that I don't know. But I think you bring in, you, you can't hurt to have more depth, especially in the modern NFL where it, in that division at that too, where you got Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford, and uh, Kyler Murray. Never a bad idea to have more secondary help, right? Yeah, I mean, we were always talking about their front seven being the best part of that defensive unit, and that defense was very solid. When you think about the fact that they never really had a chance to get into a uh, – a big shootout. I mean, you had Nick Bosa on that line. You had Eric Armstead. You had Godly Arden huge. Key starting the research. Fred Warner might be the best linebacker in the NFL. But then that secondary, like, who's even in there outside of Jaquaski Tart, who's known for dropping a sure-handed interception? So also an awesome name. That's that's the only reason I knew him. <laughs> Fair enough, but uh, that's definitely a place that they can look to improve this team to maybe take another crack at the Super Bowl. I do think that they need some stability at running back, though, considering they started with Raheem Mostert. They had Trey Sermon in there. They had Eli Mitchell, and it was just a revolving door of running backs. At one point, they had Debo Samuel in there as well. Um, Look, I know Shanahan is well known for his running back game planning, but it sure would help if you had a bona fide number one running back. And to me, it doesn't entirely matter who you have as long as you get some stability. Realistically, that's a big indictment on the strength and conditioning department because we have uh, made so many allusions to the fact that this team has been decimated by injuries for multiple years at this point to where really you just kind of start needing to look at the processes that are taking place here. And that's something that's a little more under the radar. But when you have these kinds of incidents happening to where, what, your third, fourth string running back ends up being your main starting running back, it's a bit of an issue, I feel. Yeah, I feel like, I know this year it wasn't really his his option. I know he got down, like you said, like the fourth string running back. I mean, like you said, a little bit of an eye raise there at the strength and conditioning program. I know it's the it's the running back position. I mean, there's a lot of attrition there, but this is a bit of a pattern popping up where these guys keep getting injured. So that is something you want to look into. But I think Shanahan's having a lot of a similar type of problem that Bill Belichick had for a long time, still kind of has to where he's so good at putting guys in position to like be great to where he doesn't need to have like elite guys in there. So he likes to just kind of have those guys to where I think it was, I can't remember if it was uh, Tom Landry or Bill Walsh. One of those guys liked their QBs to just basically be an arm with no brain essentially so that the the quarterback could basically just be the head coach. I feel like that's kind of what Shanahan does to a certain extent to where he kind of, gets infatuated with how good he is at scheming shit up to where sometimes it's good to just have dudes in addition to having that know-how as well. Like I know, I mean, it's it's great. Yeah. It's great to have Elijah Mitchell going for uh, over a thousand yards after basically 
coming out of nowhere. I think he was undrafted coming into the year. Uh, Raheem, Raheem Mostert doing the exact same thing last year. But what if you got a guy who was like actually solid and consistent in there on a, on a consistent basis? I mean, maybe it might cost you a little bit more, but who knows? Maybe it'll help the entire offense. I mean, the QB situation is pretty self-explanatory, but like, I think we could both, I think we can both anecdotally speak to that because I mean, you've got Dalvin cook and we've got Alvin Kamara on our side and I can sure as hell say Alvin Kamara has bailed us out of a lot of sticky situations and having him and then you just have to put in like a secondary running back who can change a pace, take some load off of him and do some other things. It really does a lot to open up the game plan. So it's no wonder to me that Jimmy G struggled as much as he did when they really didn't have a running game plan per se. And a big thing that I kind of come back to where it was kind of put to me – I learned this a little bit in in business school where a lot of times when you're growing up, you think about like you you view a lot of of skills as far as like um, in terms of mitigating weaknesses. Like you're trying to to, uh, offset like your deficiencies in a lot of ways, whereas it really behooves you a lot more to kind of lean into your strengths – Whereas, like, you know, the weaknesses are going to be what they are at the end of the day. Focusing on them doesn't help more than it hurts you in other areas by not focusing on what you do great, you know? So, I think if you if you get a legit awesome running back in there with Kyle Shanahan as the coordinator, I mean, I can only see good things coming from that. They'd be the number one rushing offense every single year. They could have basically any QB they wanted because they could do anything they wanted in the play action. I mean, yeah. Give it a try, guys. I know the running backs are a pretty pretty devalued commodity nowadays, but I mean, having a great one, it's it's a it's a value that you can't really state through numbers sometimes. Yeah, I mean just think about Derrick Henry, right? You can just get somebody in a similar stroke as him or even Jonathan Taylor, and hey, maybe you'll break your own running back records. Yeah, absolutely. But with that, we have come to the end of the pod deck, and before we go through the outro. Little bit of a uh, little bit of somberish news, I guess. I mean, just kind of you know how life goes sometimes. But our dearest, dearest good boy Zach will be leaving the podcast going forward. After the next episode, he will finish out the season, rounding out the Super Bowl with me next week and the AFC side of this because be a little bit weird to do the NFC side and not do the AFC side with Zach as well. But uh, yeah, as a result, we're going to be doing a little bit more. Uh, a little bit of structural change is going to be a bit different than what you're hearing right now because there's not going to be quite as many conversational aspects. But yeah, I wish you all of ugh, let me. <laughs> sorry, I wish you all the best in all your endeavors, buddy. I mean, really, this is just kind of how life is sometimes. I know. I mean, I'm still going to be texting you pretty much all the time. Viewers might not hear you on the microphone, but you're going to have impact behind the scenes as well. And I mean, we're still best friends at the end of the day, so. Wish you all the best in the world. And with that, uh, anyway, did, did you want to say anything before I got to the outro here? Look, y'all will hear from me at some point, too. I mean, when LSU Mississippi State play, I mean, the Vikings and the Saints are playing this year. I'm sure I'm sure you'll allow me back on the podcast at least to talk some shit to you either uh, before or after the game, whichever we decide. And I mean, I'm, I've got some uh, podcasts I'm thinking of doing, too. So at some point, I'm sure we'll get some kind of collaborations going. It's been a good ride, but uh, I'm just moving on to new projects at this point. And by the way, this might not be the last podcast we do together. So, I mean, if you like us talking to each other, I mean, stay tuned because that 
might might be coming down the pipe at some point. We'll we'll have to see how that all that all all shakes up. But uh, yeah, it was it was good. Um, fuck, there was one more thing I had to say, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It it slipped my mind. Anyways, that's all for this episode. Oh yeah, it just just popped into my mind. Next iteration of the uh, podcast. Sorry, a little bit jumping around here, but uh, I you're definitely gonna come on at least a couple times during the football season, because I assume there's going to be a lot of stuff with LSU to talk about. Uh, I'm going to be having, maybe it's going to be a solo podcast with guest interviews every once in a while. So you'll probably be a fairly frequent contributor during the football next year. So yeah, not really going anywhere necessarily, just like uh, leaving the podcast. That That's about it. But uh, yeah, that's uh, all the droning on I need to do from here. Um, I, I can't can't talk right now. That's all for this episode, though. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. Uh, if you didn't, leave. Expunge this experience from your memory. But, I mean, leave a five-star rating anyways. We're in a bit of a flux stage, so it would help a lot, you know? Be, be a real great real great motivator at the end of the day. Uh, we put out episodes once a week during this offseason. They're going to be wild, wacky, fun episodes going forward here, especially experimenting with the podcast going forward. I really... I. Guys, I cannot wait. It might be some trash content a little bit, but it is going to be so, so much fun going forward. I can't wait to experience it with y'all. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Caleb Verzak, at Zachary W. Mullen. Links will be in the description for that. Uh, if you want to contact the show, send us an email at unqualified analysis at gmail.com. Specify, in all caps, business or show. Uh, in the subject line, first uh, word there to kind of categorize you appropriately. And uh, thank you for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. As always, we have no idea what we're talking about. I definitely fucked up that last line, but I'm not redoing it.